Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. You're going to give them later today via Facebook Live, or I'm going to do it a big one tomorrow. All right, here we go. Um, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm with you on this Friday afternoon as Governor Reeves wraps up his press conference today along with uh, Colonel Michelle, from, uh, uh, who's the uh, executive director of MEMA, and Dr. Dobbs from... Uh, the Mississippi Department of Health. We welcome you to the Friday edition of Sports Talk Mississippi, 24th of April. C Spire text line is open. 601-879-4395 is the number. 601-879-4395. If you would like to be a part of the conversation this afternoon, we'd love to hear from you. What did you think about the first round of the NFL draft last night? Was it captivating? Was it interesting? Was it boring? Were you impressed with what ESPN slash ABC slash NFL Network did from a, uh, a coverage standpoint? Technically, it was uh, it was pretty solid last night. Uh, I would remind you, uh, our friends at Seaspire, they're not just saying they care, they're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day from free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home, learn more, at cspire.com slash cspirecares. Big news from the governor's press conference was the uh, the shifting on Monday from shelter at home to safer at home. So uh, you were encouraged to kind of limit your travel to uh, essential travel. Uh, businesses are going to uh, be opening largely. Uh, retail businesses will be allowed to uh, have uh, curbside services and restaurants are going to continue to operate the way they have, still with uh, bars and salons and tanning facilities and casinos. They are going to remain closed for the uh, the immediate future as well. Borky, is there anything that I missed in terms of kind of the guidelines for going forward? I don't think so. All right. Good Friday afternoon, Michael Borky. Yeah, good Friday afternoon. Um. All right. Just uh, initial thoughts, guys. What'd you think? First round of the NFL draft last night. Give me a uh, kind of a high level takeaway, and we'll start to kind of dive in and talk about some of the big picture stuff that happened last night. Before we get uh, into Borky, the, let's start with you. Before we get into the actual players and stuff, uh, the production yeah. was fantastic. Hey, all things considered, I mean, what would you think about six weeks ago? They knew that the draft wasn't going to go on as scheduled, and even though there were a handful of technical hiccups, I don't know if you noticed, sometimes I watched ESPN mostly. Uh, Trey Wingo would direct it towards an analyst, and the analyst wouldn't respond, so we would have to quickly direct it to another one because of some video issue. By and large, it was really sharp. It was really well done, and if you were in a coma and woke up today, you would have thought they planned that all along. I I mean, I, I was so impressed with how smooth everything went the technical difficulties, if they had any, didn't show over the air. It was really well done. I mean, and Rippy said yesterday, ESPN and the NFL is not going to get credit. And nobody's really talking about that side of it today, but they deserve a ton of it. That was really, really, really well done. And you remember we referenced the uh, the story from The Athletic at the end of the show yesterday that Richard Deitch wrote. There were 180 video feeds that were coming into that main production facility in Bristol 
And that's a lot to keep up with. And instead of having 20 people in the control room like they normally would for NFL draft coverage, they had only seven uh, that were in there. I, I agree with you. I thought it was pretty buttoned up. Um, you know, maybe a glitch or two along the way. Um, but pretty darn good uh, considering. Hey, Dad, what did you think last night? Uh-oh. we got to turn on his mic or something. I see you talking, hey, Dad, but I do not hear you, so we'll try that again in just a second. What about you, Rippy? Uh, thoughts from the draft last night? Yeah, I thought it was great. I mean, I think the overarching story is what Green Bay did, and it was kind of lacking, like, drama in terms of, like, you know, quarterback like once Herbert got picked at six like no one like no one notable slid really far but it was still interesting and entertaining I uh, I enjoyed it can you hear me now you know one yeah there we go hey dad uh all I said was that you know yesterday on the show I thought what for sure that would be... push that you were supposed to push I had uh there are two buttons here do we really want to go to the technical difficulties yeah here? let's hear it uh there's two buttons PGM one and PGM two PGM two is not supposed to be on uh, PGM one is supposed to be on. They were they were reversed. Whoops! I don't know what PGM means. Program. Pro golf management is what it means here at Mississippi State. But <laughs> the the program feed. It's fine. Sure. We can hear you now. What did you well, think? Speaking of, round of technical dif- difficulties, I thought there would be plenty of them on the show last night. There weren't any, so I want to echo Borky's comments there. I thought it was really really well done. And you know maybe the lack of drama was the dramatic part. You know, maybe that was we, we sit here. We spent a whole show yesterday talking about all these rumors, and then none of it happened. And I thought that was very, very interesting to, to see your common sense prevail for the Dolphins and then for them to take the guy that they needed to take and that they should have taken, and they got him. And, and apparently, there weren't even really serious discussions. Um, we heard that Detroit took some phone calls at three, but there was never an offer. That Miami took some phone calls at five, but there was never an offer from a team to uh, to move up into those spots. I don't know if Washington took any phone calls at two or not, um, but whatever drama, I, whether it was smoke screens or teams just decided they were happy where they were, whatever it was, uh, you, you didn't get that. And Am I wrong for I, – I watched more of the first round of the draft. Really watched the entire first round. I think I turned it on right after Joe Burrow had been picked and like getting the reaction from home and the interview that he did with, uh, with Susie Colbert. That's when I started watching, and I watched the entire rest of the first round. I don't think I've ever in my life done that before. I got a little bored. Is it, is it wrong that I got bored? Or they str- no, it went to chalk. They they it's yeah, a boring they stretch process. it out on that. Yeah, I mean they stretch it out for what that was like three hours of television. Four is it seven yeah. to ten? Three and a, a half until ten thirty. Well, once the yeah, Packers traded up, I mean that was the first real whoa moment of the night, and that took a while to get there. I like the extracurricular stuff too, of like you know them awkwardly forcing their teenage kids to stand in the background. You had Gettleman putting the mask on by himself in a room with no one. You had the poor kid in Mike Vrabel's draft room uh, seeing a man about a horse with the door open <laughs> that got caught. What's going on at your boy Vrabel's house, man? My I, gosh, the freak show. I don't know. He had a gigantic plug-in, and then you saw that kid in the back left corner, which they said was sitting on a stool. Yeah, they, they said it was sitting on a stool. He was sitting on a stool. Larry the Cable Guy calls it a stool. Sure. <laughs> Yeah, that's the like, the worst excuse you could use because of the puns that you can draw from it. Who? I mean, 
You, you, Who's got the door the open kids, with people in the kids. house? That's a that's a thing you do at home alone. Come on. You even close the door when you're home by yourself. I'm being honest. Most, Most of, the of the time, time yeah. Um Yeah, and <laughs> then the two girls' house is pretty sweet. Oh, a five million dollar home in Paradise Valley. I mean, very fitting for him. Yeah. But the girlfriends Not, were the stars of the show. C.D. Lamb's girlfriend taking his phone out of his hand, and he snatches it right back and looks hands. at her and just shakes his head no. And then, um, gosh, what's his name? The, the guy that the Titans took. Isaiah, Isaiah Wilson. Um, Wilson. excuse me. Yeah, his girlfriend's sitting on his lap when he gets picked, and they cut to him, and, and he's about to start crying, and Mom comes up behind the girlfriend and pulls her off of him, yanks her up off of him so he can have the, the front and center camera shot. They were the How stars about Henry of the Ruggs show. in a bathrobe? Sponsored by Old Beautiful. Spice. Beautiful thing, though. What a great promotional concept. W- was that an Old Spice thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, was, it, was, it was the sponsorship. Oh, I didn't realize that. Well, good for him. And I guess whatever the uh, fine is, he will pay it. But it still was a little bit of an odd look to uh, go the route of, I'm just going to rock a bathrobe on the night that I get drafted. Got to go the Hefner robe with the smoking robe. It's a very John Gruden pick. Everyone figured it would be Judy or uh, CeeDee Lamb. It's a a very Al Davis pick. The fastest receiver in the draft. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to the ceasefire text line. A lot of uh, action from you early in the show this afternoon. Adam and Baldwin says Gruden showing his whole draft board strategy. Yeah, you couldn't Tim read and- it though, but you, I mean, it was right there in the picture behind his uh, impossibly short yet built son was the draft board. Deuce? Isn't that his name? Deuce Gruden? Yeah, I think that's his name. Hmm. Ripley, I thought Deuce was the one on his Dave staff. Gettleman. Do what? I thought Deuce was the one on his... Oh, never mind. It doesn't matter. Yes, Deuce Gruden. So you took the shot at Gettleman, which a whole lot of people did. They were like, is he really putting on a mask when he's in a room by himself? It uh, eventually was pointed out on Twitter that he's 69 years old. Nobody? Wow. Not funny okay. at all. Because I know, I know where you're going, so I'm not going to make a joke. And he is two years removed from having chemotherapy, and there was an IT person in the room, and so he was operating out of an abundance of uh, of caution. So we'll uh, we'll see. I guess. I got to. Yeah, it was more so him not knowing on. which. The, I mean, he clearly looked miffed as to what was the front and back side of the mask and what the string was for. <laughs> <laughs> I got a kick out of the Lions tweeting out the RV picture. I didn't know if I wanted to make a Breaking Bad or a Christmas Vacation joke. I went Christmas Vacation. Well done. Uh, that's the that's the better joke. Uh, let's see. Tim in Tupelo. The Saints should have drafted Queen, and he is angry about that. We'll get into that in just a second. Um, what did you think about the mom yanking the girlfriend out of the way when Wilson was drafted? Uh, I mentioned that a minute ago. It was uh, pretty good stuff. Uh, pretty good she stuff She pulled there. her. That wasn't like a, hey, honey, get up. Get out of the camera shot. It was, get out of here, with a word in front of it. Yeah. Uh, Hammy in Hattiesburg, already thinking about eating for the weekend. He said he put a uh, lit the grill at 5 a.m. and left his wife in charge of watching the brisket while he was at the office today, and that uh, for a rookie, she did a phenomenal job. does look pretty good. 
uh, sent us a picture of that. Is uh, well, the average was pretty good. The commissioner was uh, terrible. Think that he might have been drunk. That's what Jeff says. For a guy that's making fifty million dollars a year, he has a really depressing basement. You know who doesn't have a depressing basement? Jerry Jones. That was on his yacht. It was on the, on the, on the super yacht, yeah. Jerry Jones's draft war room was on his yacht. He's a naval it's, man. It's, I mean, that's kind of a power move, isn't it? Oh, that's the Jerry big Jones time. Big that time. you can imagine. Yeah. Um, it also looked like a doomsday bunker. Jerry well, Jones' it's called a war room. place. Yeah, the, the room that he was in, there, no windows or anything. It looked like he was underground. Yeah, but that was like all glass behind him. I mean, it was or pretty gold, impressive setup. Plated walls. Who was the guy that uh, was that? Jerry Jones' grandson. That wasn't Stephen. That was like like trying to kind of reach in and pet him on the shoulder when they were making that pick. It, it, no. His daughter Charlotte, who's a quarterback works. at Arkansas. No, not that one. There's got to be more than one. Who? So who was it? The guy that would like had on a blazer and jeans. Not exactly yacht clothing, but whatever. <laughs> Man, if you got a anyway, $250 million yacht, you can wear whatever you want on that thing. Whatever you want to. Uh, Looks Quinn like that was that Jerry Saban's... Jones Jr., maybe. Okay. There you go. Uh, and he's the chief sales and marketing officer for the Cowboys. Yeah. It's good to be uh, – I have the last name Jones. You get to stay in the family business. He was making sure he he knew that – or his dad knew that he was proud of his pick, too. Yeah. Quinn says that uh, Nick Saban's man cave slash pool hall is pretty pimp. So Is that where Tua was sitting? It said Alabaster, Alabama. I, I don't think that would have been Nick Saban's house. That's, where his, that's, where, he, that's where his family lives now. Because that's where uh, right. Alabaster was where I think... Uh, Talia, I don't know how to pronounce it, I went to high school. Okay. It's south um, of Birmingham, so, why there? That's a question for you know, find a, jobs. A family making the move from Hawaii to Alabama, that, you know, you got to find good property values. It's because certainly no one from Alabama helped them in the purchase of that home. So, you know, I'm just speculating here. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> It I guess have kind that of was why I asked the question, Lodge, though, is, is if, you know, if there was something going on, why put it there? Maybe to take the scent off the trail? I don't know. Yeah. Um, Aaron Suttles will join us this afternoon in the 4 o'clock hour, writes for The Athletic, covers Alabama, and also is uh, one of the co-hosts on Three Man Front on Jocks in Birmingham. So we'll talk with him coming up a little bit later uh, this afternoon. Let's just quickly walk through the picks from the uh, from the first round last night and, and stop me when you... Uh, get we get to one, or or I'll stop when we get to one that maybe merits some conversation. No surprise at number one with Joe Burrow going to the Bengals, Chase Young to number two at the uh, Redskins. Consecutive years that uh, the Redskins have taken somebody that went to high school in the uh, kind of the DC metro area. Is it the DVM? I think they uh, they call it. Uh, Jeff Okuda, the cornerback from Ohio State, goes to Detroit at number three. Andrew Thomas to the Giants, offensive lineman. And I don't think anybody was surprised that the Giants took an offensive lineman with their first pick. It was just expected to be Jedrick Willis. Instead, it was Andrew Thomas out of Georgia. Maybe a little bit of a surprise there. Uh, not like knock you off your seat surprised, but uh, pretty big deal there for uh, 
I guess Georgia, maybe a selling point for Sam Pittman, the Arkansas, or excuse me, the yeah Arkansas coach now. That was did, his guy. I did see Georgia and Arkansas as well, but Georgia especially has been tweeting out graphics of all of the Alabama players that Scott Cochran trained in his career and putting the Georgia logo on it. One of the most annoying things in college football is, hey, I, I don't coach there anymore, but uh, look at these players. And now he's the special teams guy. So it's like, where's the connection? Well, was it a couple of years ago that Jalen Ramsey went off on uh, on Jimbo Fisher for putting his name on something yep. that was Texas A&M related? It's like, I didn't go to school yeah. there. Yeah. Miami does what we all thought they needed to do, and that's uh, take Tua Tonga-Vailoa with the number five pick in the draft. All of that conversation, all of the smokescreen, all of the talk about Justin Herbert there uh, turned out not to uh, not to be the case. Miami did what they needed to do. Um, the conversation that we had yesterday is one that happened on the draft coverage and the fact that uh, since Dan Marino, there have been a whole bunch of quarterbacks and they're still looking for the next Dan Marino, at least in terms of success and consistency at the quarterback position. I thought it was interesting that uh, they said Stephen Ross um, was the, the owner of the Miami Dolphins was kind of aware of some of that conversation that was going on and knew that there was some pressure on him to draft to a Tonga Vailoa and he wanted to make sure that they got it right. He had to sign off on the pick, as you would expect. Uh, most owners do, although sometimes GMs have a little more say-so. Uh, but in the case of Miami and Tua, it was the owner, Stephen Ross, signing out, off on that pick and saying, this is how we're going to go if he is indeed available. Well, kudos to them. That's the pick that should have happened. You know, I, I, you know I was sitting here... Uh, pre-podcast with my podcast partner Joel Coleman who's a big Dolphins fan I periscoped his reaction to the pick and he just said it like this he said I, I don't even care if if two is a bust this was the right selection this was the pick that made sense this is what the Dolphins needed to do if he busts he busts you know there's probably 20 other guys that are going to bust in this first round as well but that well, was the what, pick they needed to make that's what kind of debunks the injury thing is like if you think he's the more talented player, why would the injury thing factor in? Because half these dudes are busts anyway. I wouldn't be right. shocked if uh, Herbert has more immediate success, though. Yeah, the poll question today is going to be about that because uh, even though most everybody thinks that Tua is the better player, I think Herbert's going into the better system. So, poll question today who makes a playoff start first, Justin Herbert or Tua? Tua probably was playing. We know he had two first-round receivers with him last year and probably has two more in Devontae Smith and uh, and Jalen Waddell, just still in Tuscaloosa, whereas the Dolphins, I don't believe, have any first-round receivers on their roster. Justin Herbert goes one pick later to the Chargers, and to your point, Borky, pretty good supporting cast around him for, for that situation. I mean, you, you looked at the Chargers with Phillip Rivers, and he put up pretty good numbers, and the Chargers were – you know, kind of flirting with a playoff spot a year ago. Obviously, they don't end up there when it's all said and done. Uh, and and in the NFL that we're in right now, when you draft a first-round quarterback, it's for him to come in and start. It's not for him to come in and learn and, you know, be under somebody. Do you think all three of these guys, Joe Burrow at Cincinnati, Tua Tagovailoa at Alabama, or, or excuse me, at Miami, and Justin Herbert with the Chargers, do all three of them start opening day? My guess is Tua doesn't start right away. Tua may not play the whole year. Yeah, they because they have a quarterback that's not going to screw it up. That I mean, even could win games there, a few of them anyway. 
and Ryan Fitzpatrick. And so you can basically take a redshirt year, have him learn the processes of the NFL under a quarterback that can really give him some guidance. I mean, obviously, smart guy. Everybody talks about Harvard, but he's been a journeyman in the NFL, has won some games, has lost a lot more. It can really help him. And the injury thing, you can be completely clear of before you put him out there uh, on the field in the NFL. Him taking a full redshirt year makes a lot of sense. Yeah. We'll see. I think Herbert's uh, starting day one. So... And Joe Burrow, obviously, obviously starting day yes. one in Cincinnati. Oh, yeah. They don't have a choice. The other two stopgap quarterbacks, though, like Tyrod Taylor and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Yeah. That's true. That's true. But Derek Powell. Brown at number seven to the Carolina Panthers. He's going to be good in the NFL, I think. The Panthers fans, though, uh, not thrilled about passing on Simmons and picking Brown instead. Yeah, Simmons was the uh, the next pick up. The Arizona Cardinals. You uh, you read some of the uh, reaction to that pick. They were absolutely thrilled that he was still available at eight. They did not anticipate that that was going to be the case. And when it was the case, there was no question that that's who they were going to take at number eight. You see how quick Sports they made that pick, Mississippi. Yeah, it didn't take long at all. Two minutes. Did not take long at all. Take a quick time out. Back with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. With you, Sports Talk Mississippi, Friday afternoon, rolling into the weekend. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. About half an hour ago, Adam Schefter from ESPN tweeted this. One personnel director calls this the deepest round in the last 25 years. He believes there are 20 players available tonight that could have been first-round picks. There are usually 7 to 10. Quote, there will be as many starters in this round as there were in the first round out of last night's draft. And uh, it gets started in about two hours and five minutes. And the pace picks up today, right? You get two rounds tonight uh, spaced out over four and a half hours after you got one round last night uh, that lasted three and a half hours and then even quicker tomorrow uh, when you go through rounds four, five, six, and seven to close out the draft. So we were walking through the uh, the first round picks. We got down to uh, Derek Brown, the Carolina Panthers at seven, and Isaiah Simmons at eight for the Cardinals. Jaguars took C.J. Henderson out of the University of Florida as a cornerback at number nine. The tenth pick was uh, the aforementioned Jedrick Willis, the offensive tackle out of Alabama, going to Cleveland. Is that what Cleveland needed to do? Without Find a doubt, a little more protection for Baker and company. Yeah, without a doubt, and I mean, I agree with that. At this point, uh, considering the roster talent, there's no excuse. And I think they're moving off from Baker if they don't make the playoffs this year. They'll draft another quarterback and just start right over. But if he doesn't have a really good, productive season with this roster, it's not happening. Do you think he will? 
He should. Uh, I mean, we'll see with uh, his third head coach in three years uh, what he's able to do. He's been dealt a raw hand. Of course, most people thought that when he got drafted by the Browns anyway, but it's been especially Brownsy. I mean, even when they give him a roster, it's guys that don't want to be on the team or have histories of uh, being a little bit crazy. And even the year where there's some kind of normalcy, one of his teammates hits his opponent in the head with a helmet. I mean, it's just... Nothing, even when it's not been terrible, has still been terrible for him. So I kind of feel bad for the guy. Still not the worst hand dealt in the dra- that draft, though. No. Who was Josh that? Rosen's on the Dolphins. That's a good point. Good, uh, good point. The Jets take uh, Becton, the offensive lineman, out of Louisville at eleven, and then it's the Raiders taking Henry Ruggs the third out of Alabama. At number 12, are you surprised that Ruggs went before Jerry Judy? A lot of people were. Uh, There were jokes made at Derek Carr's expense. uh, Of course, you want to go get a burner when you've got Derek Carr to throw to him. But uh, this is what – I'll turn it over to Rippey because he said it. But John Gruden, it seems like he's got his own strategy, marches to his own beat, and it's worked out pretty well for him so far. Yeah, I mean, he drafted Cleveland Farrell last year when you had Ed Oliver available, and that kind of shocked everyone. But turned out to be a pretty good play, or productive rookie season. And then, like the Khalil Mack trade keeps aging better and better. He got crushed for that at the time being, but it's turned out to be pretty good. So I don't know. I think Gruden's a pretty good talent evaluator. I think people thought he'd be a bust when he came back after ten years out. But I mean, hell, his job was a talent evaluator for ESPN with the Monday Night Football gig as a side hustle. It's not like he was like out of football. I kind of applaud Tampa Bay for what they did. They moved up in the in the draft to number thirteen, got the pick from the Colts, and they drafted Tristan Wirfs, the offensive lineman out of Iowa. So they went and got Tom Brady. They knew there were some pretty good skill position pieces that were there. They were able to get the deal done with Gronkowski. And, you know, maybe he's a huge contributor, maybe he's not, but certainly they sold a few more tickets by drafting Gronk. And then they got serious when the draft rolled around. It's like, okay, we got the quarterback that we think we can win with. We know we've got some receivers. We know we're good at tight end. Now let's shore up the offensive line. Now, they got to probably do something over the next couple of days on the defensive side of the ball to try and improve, improve there as well. But... It feels like Tampa has made some pretty savvy football moves over the last two or three weeks. Do you see Coach, by the way, sitting on his back porch in Tampa just hanging out? Trey Wingo talked about that on the broadcast last night and said, has this guy got it figured out? Is there anybody who is more comfortable in their own skin than Bruce Arians? He's got his little Tam on top of his head, sitting on the back porch, a couple of computers, got the TV there. Looked like a nice night in, uh, in Tampa. Probably after that 13th pick, had a cocktail or a beverage of his choice and just hung out. And, I mean, Wirfs is a physical freak. I don't know much about Iowa football, so I didn't know him until the draft process. But, obviously, this doesn't translate to being a good offensive tackle. But there was a video circulating last night of him standing in waist-deep water and jumping out of a pool and landing on the side of the pool. I could not imagine doing that. And he did it with ease at 320. Yeah, that's some pretty serious athletic ability to uh, to be able to pull that off. Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina went to the Niners. His pops looked really, really happy 
and so did the San Francisco 49ers. They looked really happy with that pick, as did Denver with Jerry Judy at number 15. One hour in the books with you. Aaron Suttles will join us on the Farm Bureau phone line after a quick timeout at Sports Talk Mississippi. Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey as we roll into the 4 o'clock hour. We remind you that the C Spire text line is open to you. 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Equip your organization for simple, successful business continuity with a work-from-anywhere toolkit from C Spire Business. Featuring powerful resources like UC1 and Office 365. Learn more today at cspire.com slash business. Glad to have you along on this Friday afternoon, day one of the NFL Draft, round one in the books. That happened last night. 15.6 million viewers shattering previous viewing records for NFL Draft coverage. It was a little better than 3 million more than the uh, most and a 37% increase over the number of people that watched round one of the draft last night. Um, We talked yesterday about the fact that a lot of people were going to watch the draft. People are starving for sports. We had big numbers for the last dance on um, Sunday night, the uh, first two parts of the Michael Jordan documentary. In terms of number of people that watched the draft last night, you know, on Sunday night, it felt like everybody, according to your timeline on Twitter or whatever social media app you were on, like everybody was watching. Last night, twice as many people watched the first round of the NFL draft. 19 million people, almost 20 million people at its peak as well. I think it was about an hour into it is when it peaked. I mean, almost 20 million people, which that the number you gave, the 15-6, is greater than every college football game with the exception of the Rose Bowl and the playoffs. Wow. That beat every NBA Finals game. That beat most of the weekday NFL games even. So you had more people watch a souped-up video conference for three and a half hours last night then watch the majority of the regular season NFL games, then watch any college football game other than the Rose Bowl, the two semifinals, and the national championship game, and more than watched any of the NBA Finals games last year? It beat every single NBA Finals game. Wow. That just shows the power of the NFL. I mean, college football is a great product that has a massive following, and the numbers are very, very good. I've said on this show before, every college football network with the exception of NBC airing exclusively Notre Dame games, saw an increase, a pretty significant increase year over year in viewership. College football is healthy and strong. NFL blows it out of the water still. 32 picks in the first round last night. How many out of those 32 picks? Now, everybody's going to tell you that, oh, we're ecstatic with who we got in the first round. But in reality... Teams end up with players like, yeah, it's not really who we were hoping to get. We really thought this guy was going to be available. But one of the things that I was struck by as we watched last night, I mean, you know Cincinnati's ecstatic. You know the Dolphins are ecstatic. I think the Chargers are really happy. It felt like Carolina Panther, the, Pan- the Panthers as an organization 
were really happy about Derek Brown. Borky pointed out earlier, maybe the fans not as much. Isaiah Simmons, just absolutely ecstatic in Arizona that they were able to get him. The Raiders seem super fired up about Henry Ruggs. Uh, the Niners seem super fired up about Javon Kinlaw. Same thing for the Broncos with Jerry Judy. And even if you go a little deeper into the first round, the Jaguars trade up and they get that pick from the Rams and they get Caleb on chase on at number 20. I think it's a really good pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars guy out of LSU, Minnesota, really excited about Justin Jefferson at number 22. Are the Saints, and, and now as an organization, they're going to tell you, hey, we, we got who we wanted. There, there are other players that we could have gotten that would have made fans maybe happier. But as an organization, what was the strategy for the Saints in going and getting a center? The Cesar year after Ruiz they traded up Michigan, to get a center. A year after they traded up and got a center who played pretty well last year. Yeah, he started every game and and did very well. So the thinking is this. I I wanted them to pick a linebacker, and the linebacker I wanted them to pick was available, and they chose not to do it. And especially for a lot of Saints fans who have crossover LSU fandom, that especially hurt not taking Patrick Queen last night. I still think that that's the route they should have gone because the linebacker position is one of a greater need than the offensive line, but here's what they're about to do. So they picked uh, Ruiz because they are trying actively to deal Larry Warford. Warford's a guy that um, is a $12 million cap hit this year, and I promise you I'm not an offensive line expert, but I can tell you his production will not match the $12 million cap hit. So they drafted this guy because he was really high up on their board anyway, and Sean Payton was asked uh, by the media in a Zoom call after the draft, um, where he anticipates him, like his role next year. And Peyton said, we didn't draft him to be a backup. We drafted him to start. So that is all you need to know about what they're going to do with Warford. So they're trying to deal Warford right now, and they're hoping to get a second-round pick. I'd, I'd be shocked if they get one, but kudos if they do. They're trying to deal him, get rid of him in his uh, $12 million contract, start this guy at either center or guard. They'll figure out uh, between him and and the guy they took last year, uh, who's going to play center, who's going to play guard, and get another pick for a mid-round in this year's draft. That was their thinking behind this. And if it doesn't work out and you can't deal Warford, I mean, Andrews Pete at left guard has not been consistent at any point in his career and has been injury-prone, so at worst comes to worst, you could plug him in there. Well, and there was a thought that with – Getting Ruiz, you could move him around a little bit. Yes, he was a center. Yes, he anchored the middle of that Michigan offensive line this year, but you could easily slide him to one of the guard spots multiple places on the offensive line. Yep. You could uh, you could play him. How about this? 31 starts in his college career. Not a single holding call. And he didn't even play for Alabama. I know, right? <laughs> hey, Dad, I just couldn't get it out quickly enough. You beat me to it. <laughs> You um, beat me to it. And he's got a really good story. So I, I didn't love the pick. I still don't love the pick. I think linebacker's more of a desperate need. However, it felt like every kid last night, every single one of them, had a story and, and a background that that was just devastating. And, and this guy uh, lost his father when he was eight because his dad pulled over to help somebody on the side of the road change a tire and was struck by a car and killed. Mm. And then you, 
so they tell that story over the air and then they show the video of him finding out that he was getting picked and he just breaks down and starts crying he's overcome with emotion because he he spent his entire football career playing for his dad and and so now i'm all in i love the pick and you know love this guy there you go niners get brandon iuk out of uh arizona state at 25 san francisco had a good first round last night i mean they had a good first round last night that's the least Agreed. surprising thing you've said today so far. Oh, you're just that impressed with John Lynch? Oh, just organizationally, he's fantastic. Yeah. The uh, somebody pointed out with the uh, with the first pick when they took Javon Kinlaw, the rich get richer. Holy cow! That they defense just basically plug and replace. Like they traded DeForest Buckner, and then you add another yeah. beast. Yeah, yeah. For, for less money. But that that is smart franchising right there. Yeah. They also All right. uh, it was pointed out that the Kinlaws didn't really take the uh, uh social distancing order, by the way. You know what? You have to social distance with your family in your house? I know, but isn't that funny? You had and you saw it with multiple guys, like you could see people peering through windows and stuff and they were being signaled to hide because apparently they were told if your party has more than ten people, we won't show you. And so, like, they were trying to hide people, and uh, the Kinlaws didn't do a very good job of doing that. Yeah, but Javon Kinlaw's dad may have been the one that stole the show last night, right? I mean, he was so happy dancing around the... Uh, I, I assume that was his father that was that was so happy in that picture. Um, and somebody points out that, you know, Kinlaw goes from being homeless to uh, being a, a first-round draft pick, and you got to like stories like that. Jason Hattiesburg... Do you think the Cowboys would have been better off moving up a spot or two to grab Judy, or do you think they got the receiver for Dak that maybe fits that offense better? I, look, I love Jerry Judy, but part of that's because I saw him play in person a couple of times, and he just absolutely can take the top off. But so could Henry Ruggs, and so could Devontae Smith, and so could Jalen Waddle. CeeDee Lamb was a stud at Oklahoma. And I think the odds are that he has a really good NFL career. And that's a nice piece for Dak Prescott. We should offer our condolences as well. Uh, We'll we'll circle back to that in in just a second, coming back, Rippy, on the uh, other side of the uh, break. We missed on Aaron Suttles. We'll talk to him coming up in just a couple of minutes as well. Uh, Dak Prescott losing his 31-year-old brother, I guess that was yesterday, hey, Dad, that that happened? It was reported yesterday, yes. Yeah. News became public yesterday. Uh, Just a really sad situation. And uh, mm, life gone far too soon. Aaron Suttles on the Farm Bureau phone line when we come back at Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Aaron Suttles covers Alabama for The Athletic. He's co-host of Three Man Front on Jocks in Birmingham. And uh, my guess is he was one of the 15.6 million people who were watching the first round of the NFL draft last night. Aaron, appreciate a few minutes of your time. How are you guys hanging in there? I'm doing well, Richard. How are you? 
good, man. Always, uh, always good to visit. So, the the smokescreen stories, the you know the reports yesterday afternoon uh, that maybe the Dolphins were more interested in Justin Herbert. Did you buy into any of that going into the draft yesterday? I really didn't. I didn't buy it the whole time because it made no sense to me. And I, I say this no no disrespect at all to Justin Herbert. He's I, he's got a lot of talent. He's got a, a higher Zealand and what he showed in college, but if you if you just put on the film of of the two guys, it's not even remotely close. And and the story's being planted that that it was a tie and that the tie goes to Justin because of the injury situation. If I'm to presume that that you're you've got these two guys equated the same before Tua's injuries, then I gotta I gotta question if you know what you're talking about in terms of talent because I mean they're they're not close. And and Tua played better competition. And he, he was just better. I mean, Justin Herbert showed signs of being that he had, could be an elite quarterback, but he was never consistently that guy. Tua absolutely did. So I never just, it just didn't make any sense to me. And some of it was pretty clear uh, looking back on it now. And, and I didn't buy it at the time and said so on the radio several times, but it just, it made no sense that you could come out and say these things and expect people to buy them. But obviously, some media outlets went with it. And, but I just got the sense that, Two was their guy, and, and they were just trying to plant stories here and there to to make it seem like it to um, to keep people away from two, I guess. Which is almost silly. I mean, <laughs> you're in a pretty good position to be able to draft the guy. You know, we spent some time yesterday talking about the fact that if the Dolphins were to go this route, that there was a, a very legitimate chance that they could end up making the two worst medically influenced decisions maybe in the history of the NFL in about a 15-year time period. Crazy to think about, right? And, and you know, two is by far a safe pick because of, because of those injury um, situations. I always viewed it, it was a risk regardless. It was the risk that, that one, that you were going to draft to it and that he was going to be what everybody kind of assumes, injury-prone and it will never work out. And, and that's sort of what the book on Tua is. And but the other side of it is you could you could risk being the Portland Trail Blazers and taking Sam Bowie when you could have had Michael Jordan and yeah. and so the risk of passing on a guy that ends up becoming special um, I, I think that's far more damaging to a reputation to an organization rather than taking a chance on a guy that just doesn't work out. I mean, we, NFL teams every year take chances on quarterbacks that don't work out, and you don't really get crushed over that. But if you pass on a guy. And he ends up becoming the guy. They write that in the lead sentence of your bio. Um, you don't recover from that. So, two is far from like a, a sure thing. But I think he's, um, I think he's much better than Justin Herbert at this stage. And I mean, Richard, what about the story that they planted out there that they were going to trade up two spots to take an offensive tackle? I mean, that, that was the most ludicrous thing I'd ever heard because one, all four of those tackles were pretty much graded about the same, and. It, you, if you don't get one, you can have the other three and not have to trade up and give away assets to your organization. Just some of the stories that come around draft time are just absolutely insane. Aaron Borky was um, he was kind of buying into that. He he was convinced that the Dolphins it made sense for them to take a tackle and then for them to uh, go do a deal and get Cam Newton if they weren't uh, sure. If they weren't sure, one. I, if you want to tackle, I'm fine. Uh, well, if you, let me say this, I'm not fine if you need a if you need a quarterback and you want a franchise quarterback. You need to get 
I'm fine if they take Justin over over to a. But there's I always risk associated with that decision, though. Hey, the thing that would have killed him is that they traded up, because then you're giving away assets to your organization for a player that's not it's not markedly better from any of the other three tackles that that were in this class, because they were all graded about the same. I guess Makai Becton has the highest ceiling, but Tristan Wirth and Andrew Thomas and and Jedrick Wills. I mean, they were, those are all pretty much graded the same. You talk to four different draft analysts, they'll give you their, their top tackles, four different guys. So um, the, the trading up part is what never made sense to me. Aaron Suttles on your radio. You can follow him on Twitter at Aaron Suttles. He's co-host of Three Man Front on WJOX. That's 94.5 FM in Birmingham. He also is the Alabama writer for The Athletic. So let's slide to these, uh, these wide receivers out of Alabama. Um, Judy... And Rugs, Rugs goes first. Did that surprise you at all? No, I predicted. <laughs> I was asked on 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 my radio show who would I take out of the three. You know, CD Lamb, Jerry Judy, and Henry Ruggs. And I made my case for Henry Ruggs because what's sort of been interesting about the Henry Ruggs uh, case is that everyone, especially since he ran that time at the combine, is that he's been labeled as a speed guy. And fairly or unfairly, if you say speed guy, there are times you get sort of boxed in that you're typecast as a track guy and it's straight line speed and and you know henry rugg certainly has that but he has a lot more than that so i'm fine if you say he's a speed guy but he can do more than that he can make contested catches he's tough i mean his his vertical leap is insane but his hand size for a receiver his size is crazy he's got over 10 inch hands so he, he can he's got the hand strength to wrestle the ball away from a defensive back um, he's not just a straight line speed guy. He runs quick slants. Now, is his route running Jerry Judy? No, he's not. He's not. Jerry Judy is the best route runner in this draft. But in terms of like explosive playmakers, I would absolutely go Henry Ruggs, and he can do more than just hey run a go route. That's there's more to his game than that. And um, he, he showed it at Alabama. There are a couple catches he made in the Iron Bowl in t- 2018 that just remarkable, where he just went up over a guy and. Um, yeah. took the ball away from him. So I, I thought he, and especially the Raiders, make a lot of sense. You know the history of that organization and sort of I, I imagine Al Davis looking on from the grave, like smiling that they got the fastest guy <laughs> in the NFL the draft this year. That's just sort of was him, his MO as an owner. So it made a lot of sense there. And, um, you know, Jerry Judy, I think the Eagles put out that story about his knee. It was never really an issue that I heard about at Alabama, and, and their team doctors came out and said that he never had any ill effects from a little cleanup procedure he had, I believe, after his freshman or sophomore year. So um, it's a really good draft for wide receivers. But um, I, I thought CeeDee Lamb might go a little earlier. I was surprised. Um, I'm surprised that he was the third receiver taken. I thought he might actually make a push for number one, but – um, yeah. I like Henry Ruggs a lot, and I certainly saw Jerry Judy play a lot, too. Do you think there's something about Xavier McKinney and his game that caused him to fall out of the first round, or do you think it's just one of those deals where maybe he wasn't slotted in the right spot on the right draft board with the right team up, and he's one of the first guys that we'll see go tonight? Yeah, i got to say, say this carefully because I love Xavier McKinney's uh, – a media guy's dream always came up, had a great attitude, and one of Nick Saban's favorite players. I just think his coverage skills, I never thought warranted a first-round pick, not not with the way okay. the game is played today. Um, you know, he's he's good, but it, can he cover, can he be like a 
a star defensive back? Can he can he cover the slot receiver? It's not it's not natural for him. Uh, I don't think he's subpar there. I just don't think he he thrives in that area where he's locked up one on one in coverage. And in today's NFL, you, you got to have a lot of those skills. Um, you know, going up against some of these offenses. So I, I think it's one of those things. If you would have, you know, you, you rewind fifteen twenty years. And yeah, I think he's a first round safety. But the way the game is played now, I wasn't surprised that he didn't go in the first round. Same thing with, with Trayvon Diggs. I wasn't surprised he wasn't a first round guy either, just because, I mean, he, you're, you're sort of projecting him to hit his ceiling. He's not there yet. He's an athlete playing corner. He's not really mastered cornerback yet. But I can tell you one thing Who, whoever gets Xavier McKinney, you're going to love him. I mean, when, when you're one of Nick Saban's favorite guys, that says a lot about you as a football player on and off the field. This uh, probably don't have enough time to really get into this, but just another year where Alabama has a ton of guys go in the draft. We're going to see it today. We're going to see it tomorrow, and it seems like they always just reload through recruiting and through development and whatnot. Is this the year where the draft effect actually plays out the following season, and and potentially Alabama takes just a small step back? Oh, I think they took a step back last year especially defensively. I do think they'll be I would agree with better that. defensively this year. Yeah, because I think Dylan Moses is, is really going to be a stab that, that helps cure a lot of ills for them defensively. You know, offensively, you, you can't lose uh, Tua and Jerry and Henry and your right, your two your starter at right tackle not feel it. Um, I think offensive line is going to be fine. I think they're going to be more of a run-oriented team this year, and that's, that's not really saying that much because, I mean, they lose Tua. Everyone could probably predict that to some degree, but um, Najee Harris really came on, I thought, in the second half of last year. And, and with this offensive line that they've got, they feel really good about that. And they still have Jalen Waddle back and Devontae Smith. And some people are saying if Devontae Smith had came out, that he was a first-round talent too. So um, yeah. if, if you go by that logic, that means they got two first-round receivers right there in Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith. And, and then it's just about finding your So, yeah, they're still going to be pretty think, good. We get it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> Aaron, thanks for your time. Have a good weekend. Appreciate Aaron Suttles joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Give you their website all the time. It's favorites.com. You know, when you look around at how difficult things have been in the state of Mississippi, I'm not even talking about coronavirus, but with the storms that have come through over the last couple of weeks, you were reminded that you need a partner, not just somebody that you pay so that you can say, I have insurance. You need a legitimate partner on the insurance side of things. And why not get a partner that you already know? Well, that's the case at Mississippi Farm Bureau. They have local agents and local adjusters in all 82 counties in Mississippi there's a really good chance that you're dealing with somebody that you already know, maybe somebody that you go to church with or you see at the ball fields or you uh, bump into at the grocery store. Uh, you, you just know them. Maybe you went to high school with them. That's the case with my Farm Bureau agent here in Oxford. It's somebody that was two years older than I, um, uh, than I am, and he and I went to high, uh, high school together. And you just feel really, really good about the service that you're getting. Uh, they care about you. Um, we talked with uh, with Henry Hamill, who is the uh, the leader at Farm Bureau, Mississippi Farm Bureau, last week about some of the uh, good things that they've got going on right now. Just tip our caps to uh, all the uh, the men and women at Mississippi Farm Bureau uh, for all the uh, the extra hours they're having to put in right now to take care of 
all the folks in South Mississippi and East Central Mississippi that have been affected by the storms over the last couple of weeks. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, I think we were talking about the Dallas Cowboys uh, a little bit earlier, and Rippy, C.D. Lamb, the role that he plays, I think you were going to say something, and I cut you off at the end of that. Do you remember what you were going to say? No chance. Uh, Do you like that pick for Dallas? Yeah, I mean it's fine. I think what I was going to add is, like, it's not like quarterbacks here where you know a large amount of them are going to be bust. Like, all four of these receivers could end up having long, productive careers. Titans, Isaiah Wilson out of Georgia. You like that pick on the offensive line? It's fine. I mean, it makes sense. Their offensive line, the misconception because of what Henry did was that it was really good, but it really was one of the highest paid and actually sucked for about 12 games. So, sure, I thought they might go corner or safety or something, but, yeah, it's fine. The SEC had a uh, pretty darn good night. There were 32 picks in the uh, first round of the NFL draft last night. 15 of them came from the Southeastern Conference. That is record uh, the SEC breaking its own record, which it had set twice previously in both 2012 and 2017. There were 12 SEC players taken in the first round. Those 15 players last night came from six different SEC schools. And here's the, the reality of the thing. I mean, yes, LSU was highly represented. So was Alabama. So was Georgia. And in this particular year, that's the case. But you've had representation from all over the SEC in terms of first-round picks in recent years. You've had Ole Miss. You've had Mississippi State with three first-rounders uh, last year. Uh, you know, you, you've had Missouri with first-round draft picks. You've had it with Kentucky with Josh Allen a year ago. I mean, it's it's been all over the place, and I don't think this trend is going anywhere. It's the SEC and Ohio State pretty much in the first round. The Clemson, Clemson is, in there, yeah. Yeah, Clemson is starting to sprinkle in there as well. And it's That's no fair. surprise, those are the teams. And Oklahoma, you know, is having players in the first round. Those are the teams you're seeing in the playoff. It's it's not it's not difficult mathematics here. It's just not. The teams that they recruit the best are going to win the most, and they're going to put the most players in the NFL. Simple as that. Yeah. Anything you see that could happen that will change that in the foreseeable future? Nope. Especially no. not if what uh, Ray Tanner alluded to today comes to fruition. Which is? That um, every conference is not in a line with each other on bringing students back, therefore starting football. And that they're seeing the Big 12 appear to be. Yeah, those, those are going to happen. I imagine the Big 10 will do so as well. But, um, I mean, he was talking about it openly today that they need to figure out what happens when, say... The SEC, 14 schools are like, hey, we're open, let's go, let's play. The Big 12, uh, hey, we're all back. Oklahoma's coming back, they announced today. At least that's the plan. Of course, it could change. And they're ready to go. Joe Haraz, the interim president of Oklahoma's quote, after careful deliberation, our intention is to return to in-person educational operations by this fall. There we go. And it, it... So Ray Tanner today, the athletic director at South Carolina, was talking directly about that. We need to figure out what happens when blank. 
And the blank here is if one conference has everybody that's ready to go, another one does, but another one does not. It certainly sounds like the Pac-12 will be the last ones to agree on that. The governor of California is, I mean, he's not going to let it happen. It doesn't sound like their state schools are not going to be playing football unless there is a national all clear. So what do you do next? And I think the answer is obvious. We opined on it the other day. If the SEC has 14 teams that want to play and nobody else in college football wants to play, guess what? The SEC's playing this year. It's that simple. Yeah, I agree with that, I think. Are we worried about a scenario where it's all or nothing in terms of the Power Five conferences? Or do we just need a majority? I mean, if you only had the SEC and Big 12, I'm not sure that you'd be able to pull it off. If you get the SEC, the Big 12, and the Big 10... I think you probably can. If it's SEC, Big 12, Big 10, ACC, but the Pac-12 is doing their little ditty out on the West Coast, well, so be it. Just do your ditty and uh, do without the check that goes along with participating in the college football playoff this year. Good luck to you on that. And then I think you're going to have a bunch of smaller leagues as well. I think Conference USA will say we're ready to play. I think the Sun Belt will say we're ready to play. The American Athletic Conference will say we're ready to play. You know, do you have the Western Athletic Conference or the Mountain West that's comprised primarily of West Coast schools, where they go, yeah, don't we're going to stick with the Pac-12? Okay, good luck to you. Does it have to be all or nothing, or can it be piecemeal? I don't think it has to be all or nothing at all. I mean, maybe this is a little extreme. I think if it was. Nobody anywhere else outside of the SEC, they'd still play. I think the money is just too important for them to make for their their local communities. If nobody else is willing to play football, but you've got 14 SEC campuses open and running, I think they will play because they know they've got to. And I, see, that's why I don't buy. Like Robert Robbins at Arizona, just he was just openly talking about how he doesn't see how football is coming back as normal this fall. I mean, just speculating, he is a doctor, so his opinion has some weight. But still, people ran the headlines of Arizona president says football's not coming back, and that's not really what he said. But if it came down to it and everybody else was playing and he was one of the handful of schools that was not, I think that forces them to do it because the money is just too great to pass up, especially when your competitor universities and athletic departments are making that money and you choose not to, I think it's uh, the budget decrease that would come from that is astronomical. And even a place like Arizona, which is a big college that does really good academic stuff, would not survive no football. They'd have to cut so many people. And they're not having that. Yeah. I tend to think you're right. I just don't know if you're going to be able to sway. I mean, there's a different mindset on the West Coast. California is the hang-up. it's not entirely fair. I, I know, yeah, California is the hang-up. But you know the crazy thing about California? I mean, California has the reputation of being, you know, incredibly liberal. And parts of it are. Incredibly. But California is a really big state. And there's a big part of California that's not in San Francisco or 
Orange County or, you know, whatever other metro area you're talking about, Hollywood, that is conservative. I don't know if they care that much about college football. Maybe they're just worried about whether, you know, if they can get to Tahoe for snow skiing season, if when they can get to the beach again. I, I, I don't know. But the politics of California are based on their big city politics, not the entire state. Which is, you know, I mean, that doesn't necessarily make them unique. Right. And I just don't know the answer to that question. They're unique as well, right? Because the motivation in SEC country is the economic impact, as we've talked about a lot, is astronomical. I mean, if Mississippi can play football, it needs to, because if it doesn't, communities are going to fail. But in California, I mean, the the two most prominent schools in that state are in Los Angeles. You want to know what Los Angeles doesn't really care about or need for anything? College football. Or the LA Chargers. Right, seriously. Or the NFL team there. I mean, Or the Rams. It's a, it's a city that just doesn't feel it. So the brands in the SEC, Auburn, LSU, Baton Rouge is a capital city, but they need this. The brands in the Pac-12? Los Angeles doesn't need it. Yeah. The entire state of Louisiana needs LSU. Yep. It's not just Baton Rouge. It's the entire state of Louisiana. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm with you. We'll wrap up the 4 o'clock hour after this quick timeout. Well, how do you have the rest of the week? Let's get started. For new home. Um, two players from Ole Miss, four from LSU. Uh, Rippy Cam Fisher, Zach Smith for Ole Miss. Anything we need to know there? Say that again. Cam Fisher, Zach Smith from the Ole Miss baseball team in the transfer portal. Anything we need to know there? Probably just your kind of your normal roster attrition. Either guys were really contributors at all this year, kind of bottom of the roster guys. I don't think either one were on the travel roster, uh, but double-check that. But no, not really. Four players from LSU, and a couple of these names are pretty interesting. Uh, Drew Bianco, who was in his sophomore season at LSU, had started in uh, eight games and had played in 13 this year. Kendall Burnett... Hal Hughes, who played a bunch last year for LSU, and then Eric Walker, who went, was it two years ago? He played such a big role on that Omaha team and was just great as a freshman? I guess it would have been three at this point if you count this past season. That's right, because he missed a year. So it was his freshman year, and then he missed a year with injury, and then this was back this year, right? It, what it missed sophomore? Yeah, I guess that would be it. Yeah. You seem confused by what I was asking. I was just trying to add up the years. I know the last time Ole Miss went down to LSU two years ago, he and Rollison were both freshmen and pitched on Sunday. Whatever that okay. was. That would have been 2017. So he had 2018 season, 2019 season, 2020 season. So missed 2018, came back for 19, and was back for part of 20. Okay, so going to transfer out, gets that year of eligibility back, and we'll see what happens. Um, 
Does that mean anything? Or is this just attrition stuff? I mean, obviously, Drew Bianco is a recognizable name, and it was a big deal when he committed to play at LSU and hit a home run against Ole Miss a year ago in Baton Rouge and uh, now looking elsewhere. As far as LSU goes, I, I, I don't know. Maybe roster efficient, I don't really know. Yeah, I just kind of meant in general. When you uh, when you look at this, It'll be interesting to see where uh, Drew Bianco ends up. Obviously, his older brother Ben is at Louisville. Uh, younger brother Sam is committed to Louisiana Lafayette, um, and I guess is wrapping up his senior year of high school now. So uh, we'll see. Anyway, I just thought uh, that news was out there and uh, kind of interesting. Everybody gets the extra year of eligibility. Probably going to see a lot of movement. Hey, Dad, have you heard anything in terms of any roster attrition or transfer portal stuff at Mississippi State? Not not for uh, for baseball at all, no. I've uh, been really quiet on the baseball front. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Well, we will uh, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, Borky, what was... Novak Djokovic, the Joker. He's an anti-vaxxer. Apparently, <laughs> this story. I'm so glad we finally got to it. So this story, this is a, a perfect example of why just because somebody is good at sports doesn't mean we should listen to the things they say. That, that applies to everything, like musicians. If a musician says something, it doesn't mean you should do it. You know what I mean? Hmm. And people get wrapped up into that, like celebrity endorsements for politicians and stuff like that. I've never understood that because you have people like Novak Djokovic who was an anti-vaxxer, and if there's a coronavirus vaccine, he's not taking it, and his tennis career may be over. Yeah. I guess you got to make the decisions that are right for you. <laughs> I'm just going to go out on a limb and say if Djokovic really doesn't want to take the vaccine, they'll probably let him play. If it's a requirement for everybody to take the vaccine to be able to play? If the NBA had a hard stance on this and LeBron James refused, do you think they would hold LeBron James out of the playoffs? How do you not? I don't know, because he's LeBron James. So there have been calls for all tennis players to be vaccinated when the season eventually resumes. Although the scientific community has warned a vaccine is at least a year away. Such a plan would leave world number one Djokovic facing a dilemma. By the way, as good as the Joker is, he ain't LeBron James. That's not exactly an apples-to-apples comparison you had there. In the world of tennis, absolutely. not LeBron James even in the world of tennis. What are your top three draws per tournament? LeBron James is one of the five best players in the history of the game. Sure, and as far as attendance draws today, it's probably he, Giannis, Kawhi. I mean, it's all relative, but I mean, it's in the same neighborhood. If you're buying a ticket to go watch someone play. I'm opposed to vaccination, and I wouldn't want to be forced by someone to take a vaccine in order to be able to travel. But if it becomes compulsory, what will happen? I will have to make a decision. I have my own thoughts about the matter, and whether those thoughts will change at some point, I don't know. ESPN just started their draft countdown show for round two of the draft night. Really interesting graphic that they uh, put up on the screen just a moment ago. 
So the Packers took Jordan Love in the first round. That was the surprise. Uh, is that fair? Was that the, the biggest and maybe the only surprise of the first round last night? Man, that's the whole story of last night. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure we're all on the same page. It was only the fourth time in the history of the NFL draft that a team has used a first-round pick to draft a quarterback while having a former MVP at quarterback on the roster. First time it happened, 2004. Kurt Warner was the quarterback of the New York Giants, and the Giants drafted Phillip Rivers slash Eli Manning. 2005, it's the one that everybody's talking about right now, Brett Favre, the former MVP, was on the roster in Green Bay when they drafted Aaron Rodgers. 2006, poor Kurt Warner happened to him again when he was the quarterback of the Cardinals, and Arizona drafted Matt Leinart, and then last night with Aaron Rodgers as the quarterback of the Packers, and and an Aaron Rodgers that looks like he's got some miles left on the tires, uh, Packers taking Jordan Love last night. It's the quotes after the fact that make it even more baffling. I mean, especially when you look at the the rest of the draft, like Brady got some offensive line help. Drew Brees got some offensive line help, something that the Packers desperately needed. Dak Prescott got himself a really nice wide receiver. Kirk Cousins got himself a really nice wide receiver in your division. And as you mentioned, he still has miles left on the tires. A few really good years left in him for sure. I mean, he's been great still. He was good last year. New offense, not a whole lot of weapons, bad offensive line, still really good because he's that good. He's Aaron Rodgers. And instead of getting any kind of help to actually make a run and take his last few years seriously, you pick in a weak what, division. In a weak division, you pick what is supposed to be his successor. But here's what the general manager said yesterday. He was asked what picking Jordan Love means for Aaron Rodgers. He said, quote, We've got the best quarterback in the NFL, and we plan to have him for a while. He was asked about Jordan Love being Aaron Rodgers' eventual replacement, He said, quote, I don't think you can put that on him right now. So you drafted a first-round quarterback to not use him for a while, and you're not sure if he's the successor to your current guy. It's best not to say anything at all. Well, he's probably not just yeah balking on the question, but this is just kind of what the Packers do. I mean, they did it 15 years ago to the day. They'd spend their first-round pick on the long term and then add everywhere else. I mean, they hadn't drafted a skill guy for Rodgers since like he's been the starting quarterback, I don't think. Yeah, that was the stat in the first round last night. They have not they had this was the first skill position player they had drafted in the first round since Aaron Rodgers. You think maybe Aaron Rodgers had a meeting with Matt LaFleur and the, the GM and was like, look, you have got to draft a skill position player for this team. And they said, okay, we'll do that. I didn't mean that position. <laughs> I mean, Was he, I not clear enough? He's got to be so angry. I would be. It's not like he's past his prime. This would have been a perfect year for the Saints to draft literally Jordan Love because he was available at the time. You know, everybody knows, this is Drew Brees' last year. Drafting his successor makes a ton of sense right now. Roster pretty complete. There's some holes at linebacker. Obviously, they felt like they had a hole at offensive line. But it's a pretty complete roster. Perfect time to pick your next quarterback. Because Drew Brees is on his final year. Aaron Rodgers has four or five years left. 
if he's healthy. This is yep. the worst time to pick a quarterback in the first round, especially when you've got holes everywhere. And if you're going to say you're not going to commit to him being the successor, I mean, what are you doing? There are always there are always quarterbacks available at the back half of the first round. You could have waited till next year. What made it such a priority that you had to trade up to do it too? He's he's the definitely the successor. They're just not saying it. But why not? No, no, I, no, no, no. I agree with you. No, no, no. I know that. I'm just saying. But then you because go because they're and not going to tell the guy they're paying 134 million dollars. Like, hey, this is the guy that's going to replace you. Like they don't really gain anything by that at all. But what's wrong it, with that? I mean, he's not he's not stupid. He knows what's going to happen. Like they did the he he was brought into the Packers at the exact same situation. They don't gain anything by saying, "Yeah, this is going to be the guy that replaces him." Well, they look stupid though. And a message to to your fans and your team is, "Oh, we don't know what we're going to do with this guy." Why not say, "Yeah, we anticipate Rodgers being here for a while, but we know we've got an excellent guy in the chamber." when Rodgers decides to hang it up. What is so hard I mean, about that answer? That's pretty much what they said. They said Rodgers would be the quarterback for a while. I mean, they said they're under contract for four more and years. And then the follow-up was, do you think loves his replacement? And, well, no. We don't want to put that on him right now. I don't really have a problem with them balking on that part of the question. Like, I mean, I, it seems fairly obvious that is absolutely the case. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Experiencing fever, cough, sore throats, or shortness of breath, Ceasefire and UMMC are partnering to offer free COVID-19 screening through the Ceasefire Health app for all Mississippians experiencing symptoms. Just download the app to quickly connect with a UMMC clinician from your phone. UMMC can help diagnose your symptoms and assess whether you should be tested for COVID-19 Learn more at cspirehealth.com. We're glad to be with you this afternoon. Uh, kind of the college football landscape and the NFL landscape melding into one. That's what happens while the draft is going on right now. It's time for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. You can find out about the great deals that are going on at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Don't forget their service centers are open, and that's one thing you don't have to worry about right now. Some of them even have pickup and delivery available. If that is something that you need, just reach out to your local Mississippi Ford dealer and find out the details. Uh, So this was a tweet from Barton Simmons. First round of the 32 picks that were taken last night, only six players were not ranked as either a five-star or a four-star by one of the three major recruiting networks, Scout Rivals 24-7, which I guess maybe that's 24-7, which has Scout now and Rivals and ESPN. ESPN, yeah. Only six were not ranked... And Justin Jefferson is one of those six. He was a zero star. He did not have a star period, despite having two older brothers who played in the SEC at LSU. He ends up being a first-round draft pick. Of the 26 that were either a four or a five star by at least one network, 24-7 Sports had the most accurate ranking on 14 of them. Uh, so that was 24-7, finished first, and then ESPN second, and then Rivals third in their evaluations. 
the whole stars don't matter argument just gets weaker and weaker by the day. Yeah, 8% of recruits made up over 60% of the first round of the draft. Four and five and star Jefferson, recruits are 8%. Jefferson sort of skewed. ESPN gave him zero stars. He's a three-star on the 24-7 composite. He had a rank. Okay. It's just that ESPN didn't rank him, so that really brings him down. Hmm. Um... couple of other notes on the uh, the college football front. We mentioned this earlier. Six SEC schools had a first-round draft pick. Who were they? They were Alabama, LSU, Georgia, South Carolina, Auburn, Auburn, and Florida, right? Florida, Florida had yeah. the cornerback uh, that went to Jacksonville, C.J. Henderson. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah, Derek Brown went to Carolina. So those were the six SEC schools. You had three schools from the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the Big 12 that had first-round draft picks. Out of the Big Ten, it was Michigan, well, Ohio State first, and then Michigan and Iowa. From the Big 12, Oklahoma, who are the other two? Uh, TCU and Texas Texas Tech, that's right. It was a defensive player from Texas Tech, wasn't it? Yeah, Jordan Brooks. And then from the Pac-12, who are the three from the three schools in the Pac-12? Arizona State with Ayuk, the wide receiver. Herbert at Oregon. Justin Herbert from had a, Oregon. Austin Jackson. That's right, offensive lineman from USC. And then two ACC schools had first-round draft picks. Clemson, obviously, and. Louisville. Yeah, that's right. Right? Yeah, the yeah. offensive lineman from Louisville. Mackay Beckton, yeah. There are, since the beginning of the draft, only six schools that have had five or more first-round picks in the same draft. LSU did it last night. Ohio State's done it twice in 2016 and 2006. Miami did it in 2004, also back in 2002 and Southern Cal in 1968. Pretty elite company for LSU. Sports Talk Mississippi, that's your college football fix driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Backtracking to something that we talked about earlier with the uh, baseball transfer, Tim sent me a uh, link to a story from The Advocate about the uh, transfers at LSU, and there's some stuff in there about Drew Bianco. This was a quote from Paul Maneri. He said, Drew's testing the waters but I don't think he has any intention of leaving LSU. I think he still wants to be at LSU and went on to say that if he returned to LSU, he would certainly have a chance to compete for a starting spot. Made the move to left field uh, this year for LSU. So kind of an interesting quote, but... Seems like an oxymoron, though, doesn't it? He has no intention of leaving, so why enter the portal? Yeah. I get what he's saying, but... Sure. Anyway, just uh, thought I would pass that context along with the uh, story that we were talking about earlier. Uh, Laramie Tunsil got paid. So everybody's talking about the draft and the new guys coming in, but Laramie Tunsil, who is his own agent now, apparently, negotiated his own deal with Bill O'Brien, who is the head coach and general manager of the Houston Texans, and it is a deal that makes him the highest-paid offensive lineman in the NFL. It is an extension to his current contract. Three years, $66 million, almost $58 million of it is guaranteed 
forty million coming over the first two years with a thirteen million dollar signing bonus. It's there's good another, money if you can uh, get it. Yeah, not bad. Uh, I wonder how the people another, that uh, celebrated uh, on his draft day because a bad actor uh, took his phone and used it to get into his social media accounts to tweet damaging damaging images of him feel bad today. Or are they just so miserable in their own lives that they don't feel anything at all? I bet Tunsil bet. feels pretty good today. Yeah, I would imagine so. There's another uh, NFL account. Uh, Aaron Wilson says, Laramie Tunsil negotiated his own $22 million a year deal directly with Bill O'Brien. Got advice from advisors. He did extremely well in his negotiations one year after being traded from the Dolphins for two first-round picks. Is that going to be the rare trade where everybody wins? Maybe so. I mean, it's more likely that happens when it's like, like that didn't feel like a competitive trade. Like the Dolphins were actively trying to get rid of assets for picks. Uh, I guess looking back now, given Bill O'Brien's more extensive history, they probably could have fleeced him a little better. But yeah, I mean, it seemed like everyone won. Dolphins got what they wanted and what they were trying to do, and then, you know... They got protection for Deshaun Watson. Because you remember Deshaun Watson's big thing the first couple years of his career, and it's still not great. He used to get murdered back there. Yeah, they had to do something. Sure. Well, and John Harris has told us repeatedly he believes that Laramie Tunsil is the best offensive tackle in the NFL and that Houston had to get something done to lock him up semi-long-term. I mean, you know, three, four years for an offensive lineman, I, I guess uh, that can qualify as, uh, as long-term. A certain franchise... In Tennessee, traded out of the number one pick because they didn't want to get him because they already thought they had a left tackle, and then had a literal miracle happen to where they could draft him again in the pick they traded back to and uh, drafted another guy. And where's he now? Uh, Jack Conklin's still on the team. Just uh, I don't think he's making twenty two million a year. Uh, didn't he go to Cleveland? Oh, I guess Conklin did leave as a free agent. Yeah, this year. he left and went to Cleveland. Yeah, that uh, offensive line was high paid and not high product, highly productive. But the guy I was talking about, I guess, was Lawan, not the draft pick, but the guy that they thought was their kind of anchor on that side. And Taylor Lawan's been okay. Yeah, I mean, he was good later in the year. He had that you know four or five game stretch where he was a human uh, flag, and then he had the press conference where he's like, "Yes, I know, I suck," and then got better after that. <laughs> First All thing you got to do is have a news. press conference to get better. Well, heck. He basically, just, deficiencies. he basically just stopped all the questions before they started. He was like, I realize the penalties are killing this team. I realize they suck, and I realize they need to get better. And then no one asked really many questions about it after that. All right, well, next question. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Seeing that we're done here, let's move on to birthdays. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Let's do a Friday edition of Winners and Losers. We don't have to have the music. Borky, if you want to play the music, I guess we can. Um, there we go. We got the music. Not happy the music. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. We're the never win. And we're the never win. 
All right, so a special post-first round of the draft edition of winners and losers. Let's just go around the horn. Give me your biggest winner of the opening night of the NFL draft. Hey, Dad, we'll start with you. Um, I'm going to go with Ricky's Lions. And nobody's really talking about them, but they 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 lost both their starting cornerbacks this year uh, in free agency and in a trade. And they, so they went out and they drafted I, the guy I feel is the safest pick on the board, Nakuda. He'll be a – if he's not a lockdown corner for the next decade in the NFL, I, I guess I'm just wrong on that. But he, he feels incredibly safe. Um, so, you know, that's the rare – hey, we, we're missing this. Okay, let's go get the best one available. He's available at our pick. Let's take him. It all worked out. It's crazy. Rippy, who's your biggest winner? I, I, got, a, I got two. I think one – I don't know if it's like huge winter, but I didn't really hate the Packers thing as much as a bunch of like other people did killing it. It's just kind of what they do. And it shocked me on the surface. Like I'm not talking out of both sides of my mouth. When I saw that, I was like, whoa. But then the more it explained, like I kind of read about it. It was like, this is just kind of what they do. And like, like Borky and I disagree on them be- saying whether he should be the replacement or not. I don't think they gain much by it, but you don't trade up to go get a guy if he's not the replacement. And he's kind of an interesting prospect. And. They did the same thing with Rodgers, so I kind of like them staying on brand. The other one was Vrabel in his draft room. He gets caught uh, coughing out a huge plug, and then he has the other guy taking care of business in the back along with the mullet kid. A lot going on in Vrabel's draft room. Very on brand Vrabel as well. The the mullet kid was his son, apparently. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Vrabel is a... Uh, very much a uh, football guy in terms of just the way he talks and behaves. So the fact that Vrabel's son has a mullet and looks like a linebacker is the least shocking thing I uh, saw last night. Borky, biggest winner of the first round for you? Uh, a couple. One being Tampa Bay. I, I mean, just that, that's just an easy choice, but so productive this offseason. Not just signing Brady and Gronk, but moving up, getting offensive line help, help, and suddenly your offense is one of the most talented in the NFL. It flew completely under the radar, but just very good drafting. Not panic, move up, get your guy, move on. And then also Baltimore. Baltimore was able to not move at all and get the guy that they had number one at their board the entire time in Patrick Queen. That's a good draft day as well. Best roster in the NFL probably top to bottom. Yeah, they're really good. You think, you think Baltimore does it? Yeah, I just don't know where the weakness is. The defense is sick. They built an entire offense around Jackson, like a bunch of tight ends. Like, what do they? What do they not have? My winner is San Francisco. I mean, you're talking about a team that played in the uh, in the Super Bowl last year and was really, really good, and they've got a dominant defense, and then they added more. So ship a guy out, and then you bring in, a, uh, as Haydad pointed out, a, a new guy to fill that role that's going to cost you less money. Pretty good organizational work there. Uh, and so Javon Kinlaw is a really nice addition for San Francisco. And then they go later in the round – and they get some help for Jimmy Garoppolo, and they add to that offense. So Brandon Ayuk, uh, the wide receiver out of uh, out of Arizona State, who's pretty highly thought of, pretty uh, pretty good player. It was a a deep class of wide receivers. He certainly is one of the good ones. Uh, a team, you know, for for a team to play in the Super Bowl and then have two first round picks and kind of knock it out of the park with both first round picks. To me, San Francisco is the uh, maybe the biggest winner of the first round. And we, we should mention the Dolphins. Earlier. Yeah, the, the Dolphins. Okay. At the end of the day, they got the best player in the draft at number five. In my they got opinion. two Tonga Vailoa. They, they they have to be. And I mean, and they they successfully 
uh, bamboozled all of us. We all thought there was smoke, something well, was happening. But, we all talked about it. And wh- whether you believed it was going to happen or not, we were talking about it. There was no smoke. They were, they were, I think they were always going to take two. Um, and then added an offensive lineman as well in Austin yeah. Jackson from Southern Cal. So you, you go get the future franchise player at quarterback, and then you get some help in terms of protecting him as well. Uh, ESPN and just every you know, NFL network, ABC, all of it rolled in together. Uh, to pull off what they pulled off as seamlessly as they did last night, I don't think many people thought that it was going to go as smoothly as it did last night. That was really impressive, and uh, I think they deserve to be in the winner's category. And it appears as if Cliff Kingsbury is just kind of winning. I don't know if he's got a rabbit's foot that he you know rubs on or what, but I mean, that guy, fired at Texas Tech, going to go be the offensive coordinator at Southern Cal. Oh, wait, here's an opportunity to be the head coach in um, – in an NFL team, I saw someone drop. I saw someone drop a line about how his living room scene looked like a scene from Crazy Stupid Love, and if you've seen that movie, it made total sense. Yeah, there are a bunch of the uh, of the pictures like side by side of the living room from that movie, the all glassed in, and his as well. A little fire pit going in the backyard, pool on the other side of it, nice outdoor kitchen, no trash anywhere. Like the maid came and, uh, or the housekeeper came and uh, got things ship shape for the draft for The Bachelor, Cliff Kingsbury. We'll get to losers when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Friday. Only time will tell. All of those tourists covered with oil. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll grab Jace's question. He's been adamant about it on the ceasefire text line and then get to the losers from the first round of the draft. So two different questions from Jace, but they're all related to the Cowboys. He's clearly a big Cowboys fan. Um, The first two kind of wrapped into one. Do you think the Cowboys would have been better off moving up a spot or two to grab Jerry Judy, or do you think that they got the better receiver for Dak? or possibly better receiver overall. And then he wants to know if he's overreacting to the idea that C.D. Lamb is going to be given the number 88. Is that a big deal, even if Des Bryant returns? Don't worry about the number thing with Des. And at this point, I don't know if you'd want him to come back anyway. And you certainly don't worry about jersey numbers when the guy's been out of the game as long as he has. Anyway, I think they were just fine. You didn't have to trade up to get anybody. Most people had CeeDee Lamb as the best receiver available to begin with. There's no reason to move up and give up some assets when a guy at his caliber was able to fall in your lap anyway. It's a really good pick, really good day for Dallas and and Dak Prescott. And then he also said... um, does the drafting of C.D. Lamb at 17 make it seem like the Cowboys are now more likely to get Dak's deal done by the end of May or maybe even June, even though the deadline is July 15th? I'm thinking all doubt about Dak's contract and playing on the fa- franchise tag is very much losing steam because he'll get paid before June. I don't know. I mean, I think they want to get a long-term deal done with Dak. He's going to make $32 million this year. 
Yeah, it's rip- a lot of money. I know more than that, it's about long-term security. And, you know, if you believe the reports that were out there, the biggest holdup was it was not the money. It was the length of the contract. He wanted a year, a, a contract that was more in the four-year range because he expects the quarterback market to be reset and wants to get paid a second time, whereas Dallas was willing to pay him a lot in terms of right now's money, but they wanted to do a deal that would lock him up for seven years. So, I wonder if it has the opposite effect. Rippy and I talked about it a little bit this morning that now with this selection, there's really not an excuse, right? They have more than just Amari Cooper. Uh, they have two really good wide receivers. Potential to get more. I mean, the class is deep and they've got more picks, but two really good wide receivers, an incredibly productive running back, a good offensive line. There's kind of no excuse for Dallas this year. I mean, to not only be a playoff team, but to be a contender. The, all of the pieces are there. So if you're Dallas, you've already applied the franchise tag. At this point, knowing there are no excuses, I wonder if you're more incentivized to wait. Because what happens if you put all of these pieces together, get a new qualified coach, and you still miss the playoffs? And suddenly you're tied up into to that for four then more years? business as usual in Big D. Right, but you have the opportunity potentially to, to move on from that if that is the cause, right? Because all the pieces around Prescott now are good enough to make the playoffs and, and be a contender. And if you don't do that, the year you sign this big-time contract that is going to be criticized, fair or not, if you're a Cowboys fan, it's going to be criticized if it's the number that the quarterback wants. So you just sign this massive criticized contract, have all the pieces around him, and can't make the playoffs? I wonder if Dallas is more incentivized to just keep the tag and wait. Because if it doesn't work, no skin off your back. And if it does, he will sign a long-term deal with you. And you can pay him whatever he wants, and it won't be criticized, and you'll feel good about it because, hey, we've got a formula now that works. But right now, I mean, blame Jason Garrett, blame lack of receivers, blame whoever you want to. Right now, there's still a question. And if there's a question after this season you'd much rather move on than be stuck with it for four more years. Losers from first round of the draft. And I don't know that there are necessarily any glaring losers. My guess is that at least one of the two of you, Haydad or Rippy, are going to say the Saints are a loser, although I think, uh, I'm sorry, Haydad or Borky. And I feel like Borky has already wrapped his arms around the idea of, oh, that was a great pick going and getting a center for the second year in a row. (laughs) Yeah, when you put it like that, um, (laughs) they're not going to line them both up at center. I mean, Eric McCoy could move, and this guy's also played some guard. I I would have rather them taken Patrick Queen, but if they are able to deal Warford uh, to get maybe a second-round pick tonight, they've been trying to trade up, package him. It's easier to explain away after hearing what Sean Payton said last night, and that was, we did not draft him to be a backup. We drafted him to start right away. Uh, That tells me that they are moving off of Warford and they feel like this guy's plug and play. Makes it a little bit easier to absorb. If any team has earned the uh, how should I put it, the trust the the process 
uh, tag, it's got to be the Saints, right? I mean, they have they have built and built well through the draft for the last four or five years. I, I don't see why you wouldn't just go with it at this point. So, no, I will not be giving them the, my, my loser's uh, uh, label. Who's your loser? <sighs> yeah, like you said, I don't know that there really is one, but I, I feel like it's the Packers. You know, because I, I don't feel like you needed to trade up to get Jordan Love when, in all likelihood, there will be a quarterback just as good as Jordan Love every year in the NFL draft. There's nothing, to me, there's nothing special about Jordan Love. I don't watch him and say, wow, that guy is, is, is a future Hall of Famer. He's not Tua. He's not Burrow. He's not, he's not even Herbert to me. So, you know, why do you trade up? Why do you, you, you put strain on your franchise like this? If, if you still believe Aaron Rodgers has a few good, good years left, Draft a player for him that makes your team better now, not somebody who makes your team better five years from now, when that, when that guy is available just about every year. Are the Falcons losers? Yep, they well, panic-drafted. Big picture, yes. <laughs> well, they panic-drafted a corner that got dusted in meaningful games when there were better secondary guys available and better defensive linemen available. That pick doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, Atlanta he got roasted in the championship game against LSU. Oh, it, it was awful. I mean, I felt bad for the guy. <laughs> AJ Terrell out of Clemson's who we're talking about. Yeah, just not good at all. And you expect him to play, especially in the division that you're in. I mean, think about the offensive weapons in your division that you have to face now. I mean, you've got Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders and Alvin Kamara on one side, and then you're going to play Tampa Bay now that's got a collection of wide receivers that's as good as anybody else in the NFL. And you, you want... After watching those games, seeing that guy, you think he's going to be able to match up with Michael Thomas and Mike Evans twice a year for both of them and have any kind of success? Ugh, that's terrifying. Atlanta media and, and Falcons fans seemingly are furious about this. Any other losers stand out for you? Rippy? Do you have a loser in the first round? Not particularly. I didn't 100% get the Saints thing, but, you know, whatever. You can't really get crushed for taking an offensive lineman in general. But, no, not really. I mean, I didn't – there weren't any glaring just what are you doing type of deals. Probably because the Browns didn't need a quarterback, but. (laughs) Why did Roger Goodell change clothes after, like, five picks? Got too sweaty. Seriously? I have no idea. It's just a guess. Makes sense, though. I mean, if you got too sweaty, though, why would you take your 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 suit coat, sport coat off, and put a sweater on? Wanted to look more Mister Rogerly. That wasn't a Mister Rogers sweater. So he was trying to kind of do the hip thing. Hand tucked in his pocket in his his jeans or the whole thing of him like, hey, I'm going to interact with these fans who can't hear me. You know, I'm pretty sure those were actually just videos. So, you know. Yeah, that was weird. The whole, I mean, look, when he gets I mean, a skull, I was like, dude. <laughs> you didn't like the skull? Skull. I mean, skull. I'm not a huge fan of that anyway. The Vikings have, have sort of hit me hard the past couple of years. But, uh, yeah, not, not great. Look, Roger Goodell gets knocked all the time. But clearly the owners think he does a good job. And you look at what the NFL has done financially. He's, done, he's been good at his job. Kind of awkward in that setting, though, last night. I, he's I don't an know. awkward dude. 
He is. You're right, he is. He's a really smart guy, and again, good at his job and pleases his bosses, which is all that really matters, the 32 owners in the NFL. But I don't know. I, I thought for the most part the setup for everybody was good, and his setup was just, I don't know. Could have been better. Might could have been a lot better. Let's wrap up the work week.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.